And I just praise God for all that He's doing. I really don't know why. We're going to look at that tonight, about how God chooses, why He chooses to bless, and why He does bless. Certain. And I look at my life, and I really just say, you know, God, I'm not, I'm not the most faithful guy. I know that. I know who I am. But I will tell you this, family, that it is, I love God, and I truly desire to seek His face, and no man will stop me for the rest of my life. If you get in my way, I'll run you over. Um, that is my desire. I'm not saying I will not fall for the rest of my life. I guarantee that I will continue to scrape my knees. But I will get up, and I will pursue my God. And that is the passion of my heart, and that's the desire all my days. He's done so much. He's gone so far. It's my desire to continue to seek His face, and to walk with Him closely. And um, I think that's the key to Christianity. Hey, everybody, everybody screws up. Let's just be honest, okay? Um, but not everybody gets back up. A lot of people sit and wallow in their troubles and their sin. And um, what you'll see is Christians who sin less and less are ones that continue to pursue. And um, one who sit there and just wallow in their sin and just, I, I, I messed up. And you know what? You never get anywhere. I promise you that. I have so many buddies who have come passionately to the church wanting to seek God's face. And they seek Him for two weeks, a month, six months. And they fall and they fall and they fall. And I say, get back up and keep chasing. And they stop. And their life is messed up. It's really sad. Really sad. God wants to do work in us tonight, family. Let's prepare our hearts. Our brother Robert is going to come and share with us tonight. Let's, uh, let's have Robert Ravellas come up and bless us with the word. Amen. Let's welcome him. Exodus 14, but uh, you don't need to turn there. We're just going to do kind of a summary and overview. Um, the title of my message is Don't Forget the Lord's Blessings. In Exodus 14, the Israelites are trying to escape Pharaoh, and in order to escape Pharaoh, they need to, the Lord needs to uh, part the Red Sea for them and be glorified. So the Lord parts the Red Sea. And in chapter 15, three days after the Lord did this great miracle, the Israelites are complaining, complaining that the water is, is too bitter to drink. So the Lord tells Moses to take a stick and throw it in the water. And he does it and it makes the water sweet so they can drink it. And then in chapter, in chapter 16, the Israelites are complaining again. And they say to Moses, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out here to starve in the desert. Here they are no longer slaves to Egypt. The Lord has given them this great blessing. He parted the Red Sea for them. And then they're there complaining. It was only three months later and they had forgotten what the Lord had done for them. I want to share this story with you tonight because the Lord had given me a great blessing. Eight months ago, the Lord healed me of my diabetes. He took it away. My diabetes is gone. And th three weeks ago, 
I had forgotten about that blessing. I had forgotten because my last week was my birthday, and when my birthday comes around, I start thinking about the year and what I think I should have, maybe what the world thinks I should have. And, um, you know, I turned 29, and people that are 29 are pretty set in their jobs. They have families. And here I am, I'm struggling, struggling to make money with my business. It doesn't even feel like a real job. Um, you know, no family. I have my parents, but I don't have a family. I don't have a wife. And, um, you know, I was just, just clouded. My mind was just distorted in the things that I thought I should have. I look back on the year, and I had not seen the blessings that the Lord had given me. I was looking at other things. So I want to share some of the blessings the Lord did for me this year. There's so many I could just stand here all day and tell you, but I'm just going to share a few. Um, I already shared the biggest, you know, the miracle the Lord gave me by healing me. Um, I still don't feel worthy of that. Uh, there's some other ones, some small ones, but they're still important. Things like the Lord just blessing me with money when I need money. The Lord giving me strength every day just to do the things I need to do. There was one time in the summer I lost my ring in the sand at the beach. And the Lord worked it out just to give it back to me. I was so grateful for that. There's other things like... You know, I was down and a friend sent me a text. Changed my entire day. That was just a big blessing. Um, and that's... There's so many other ones. And probably the one that's even big, bigger than that is just all the friends and the people that the Lord's put in my life this year. There's one more that just happened last week. We were at dinner for my birthday, and my friends were singing happy birthday, and I was just sitting there looking at the candles, thinking, what should I wish for? And the Lord spoke to me and said, look up. And I looked up, and I looked into the eyes of all my friends and saw the look of true caring, and I was just overwhelmed with love, with the 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 feeling of the love that they were giving me. So at the end of the song, when it came time to blow out the candles and make my wish, all I could think of to do was to thank the Lord for the blessing He had just shown me. There was nothing better than that moment I could have wished for. Those were my blessings. Some were big, some were small, all of them important. Now I want you to think about the things the Lord's blessed you with this year. I'm sure that He's put at least, He parted at least one Red Sea for you. And now I'm going to ask you: Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten about those blessings? Have you forgotten like the Israelites did? Have you forgotten like I did? Did you forget because you wanted something else or something more? The Lord doesn't have to bless us. He chooses to because He loves us so much. And I want to close in this. It's from A Day's Journey by John Corsum. It says, 
If you're expecting Jesus to be your good luck charm, if you're expecting him to help you financially, physically, socially, or vocationally, you will be disappointed when things don't go your go the way you thought they should or hope they would. We need to realize that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins, to pay the price for our iniquity. If he never does anything else in my life presently, that is more more than enough to merit my loyalty, my affection, my devotion. If he never does another thing for me, if he never gives me another blessing, I owe I owe him because of what he did for me on Calvary. There's no bigger blessing than that. And if that's your only blessing that the Lord gives you, if that's the only blessing the Lord gives me, then that's enough. So I just just wanted to share that with you and um, I want to close in prayer. Lord, I just I just thank you. I thank you so much for all the blessings you've given me, Lord. I don't deserve any of them, Lord. And I pray that you would help me not to forget them, Lord. I thank you and I love you so much, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen, Robert. We must be remembering the sweet blessings of our King. It's true. Do you know that Moses told the people to take 12 stones out of the bottom of the Red Sea and carry them with them so they would not forget that the Lord parted the Red Sea? And we need to be remembering the blessings. You know those times when God has pulled through like crazy? I mean, just like, what? No. Are you, what? You know, I, it's monumental moments for you. Sometimes you share it with people and they just don't get it. But it was just something that happened with you. I was talking with somebody last night and I was telling him, I was like, man, you need to get your brother, man, just get him surrounded around believers and people who love God. And he's like, you know, he, he says he loves God and he like wants to pursue Him, but the truth is he's just never experienced God. He's never had a real experience with God. And you know what? It was hitting me, and it's like, you know what? That is, that is it. When any man or woman has an experience with God, who's, who can take that away? So you're going to tell me that I didn't experience God? Okay. Keep talking. That's good. I know what I experienced. I know what I saw. I know what happened. That was impossible. Robert with his diabetes, impossibility. When he told the doctors that he stopped doing his uh, his medicine and all that stuff, they almost freaked out and lost it on him, and told him, "We're gonna like keep testing you. Don't don't be doing that. You know, you you make sure you watch, you know, and be watching your your sugar and all this stuff every day." Robert's like, "I'm healed. I'm healed, man." You're like, yeah, okay, you're healed. We okay. <laughs> It's true. I love hearing those stories. And our God is a God who still heals today. Yes, He does. Absolutely. And I don't know um, how the doctor explains those things. They just don't. 
It's got to be difficult being a doctor sometimes and all of a sudden something just vanishes like AIDS. You have it, now you don't. Okay, I don't uh, know what to say. <laughs> um, wow. Were you eating uh, oranges? <laughs> what did you do? How did you grow? How did that arm grow back? I don't know. I've heard crazy stories. Uh, what is that finger doing there? Weren't you born without a finger? You see, God still moves today in powerful ways, and we must not forget. We must remember the blessings of the Father. Why? Why? Because when you remember the blessings, what happens is when hard times come in the future, you will recognize that God will pull through for you again, that He will bless, that He will provide, that He will be there. And even more than that, you should be able to praise your Father anyways because you say, you know what, Lord? Strip everything from me. You've given me your life. You've given me heaven. You've cleansed me of my sin. I get to go to heaven when I die. That is more than enough. More than enough for me. And it's true. I, I'm not kidding you when I say this, that I find myself telling the Lord, when the blessings just start to flow, it's like, Father, you've done enough. I mean, I am so blessed. And I look at my life, and I just really do. I feel really blessed. Like, gosh. Like, I'm cool, man. Like, dang, more opportunities, more cool stuff, more exciting things. Wow. I mean, what else? Come on, Lord. I really... Uh, want to hear my life story? You know, I... I just... I, I really do. Like, I look at just all the things that I've been able to... Here you go. Here's some things. I was president of both Bible clubs in high school. I was called the Jesus guy. I really was. I wore this jacket around and tried and had said Jesus Christ in the back. I used to represent like full blast. I would try to do the best of my ability. These guys would mock and laugh. But then they would come and they would ask for prayer in the quiet. I was vice president of my school. I played quarterback. I, I moved on even there in the early age. I remember of college and just thinking to myself like what's going on I started teaching Bible study like immediately I've been teaching ever since then I've traveled the world I've been to Australia twice I've been to New Zealand I've been to Jordan I've been to Egypt I've been to England I lived in Israel for three months I lived in Mexico for four months I get to pray at the Billy Graham crusade in front of 110,000 people I've been able to speak in so many different high schools and so many different places that God's, God has given me the gift of music where I can go and play and like but I just like look at all these little things I've learned three trades I've done all these different I just don't know why it's my life it's, you look at my family and that's it's not supposed to happen it's like I just always feel like things just work out for me they just always just work out I had three cars given to me. Things just work out all the time. See, because we were a poor family. I've told you this before. My dad made like 30 grand a year, and mom died when I was eight. Grandma tried to raise us. I learned how to dig in the backyard and rototill the ground with a shovel, two shovels deep. You turn it over, turn it over twice. 
throw fertilizer in there, best fertilizer. So what you do, you take old fruit and you dig a big pit and you throw it in there with leaves and, and old fruit and you mix this stuff, let it just let it just die. And then you take that and you throw it all over your stuff. And you watch. Plants will start to grow like you've never seen. My grandma teaching me all these random things, but that was all in poverty, all these little things. I just look at all this... I don't know. It's just not supposed to happen, this story of my life. And I look back and I feel like I've lived enough. I was talking to a pastor last night, uh, yesterday during lunch. And he's in his 50s and he's never been to Israel. It's been a dream of his life. I lived there for three months already. I was just telling him everything about it. He's sitting there just like, you, you. And all of these trips have been paid for. I'm telling you the truth. I don't pay a dime. Like, God works it out somehow. I'm not a rich man. God just works it out. I feel like I have cool stuff. I feel really taken care of. Like, I really like my life. I really like the way things are going. I couldn't ask for more. I'm good, like, right here for the rest of my life. Like, right where I'm at. This is cool. Like, I'm enjoying it. It's great, King. Like, you don't got to give me no more. I mean, this is really, really nice. And I'm telling you, it is not because I don't believe that I've been extra faithful. All I'm telling you is I've tried to be consistent all my days. That's it. I will just be consistent. I only see myself walking away from God maybe three, four days at a time. That's the longest. Maybe I could not have communication with Him. My heart starts to ache. It's like, oh, i got to run, man. I'm like in big trouble. Like i got to talk to my God. Somewhere, someplace, sometime. I think that's it. This life, I'm telling you, Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above all men. This life is a blast. I love surfing. This life is a blast, man. I've been riding my motorcycle. Love it. Paid off. Yes! I, I just... I look at pastors who are just like all burdened down and like having this hard life and run through. It's like, dude, you're missing it, man. I remember John talking about that. People who walk with God should be the most joyful people on this earth. Not a smile plastered to your face, no. But just genuinely happy, joyful, content, solid people. That's it. It's true. If we walk with God... So I tell atheists on the street, walk with God and you'll be blessed. Don't walk with God and your life's going to suck. Bottom line. I told a guy that the other day. I really did. I used those exact words. Sorry, buddy. If you walk with Him, you'll be blessed. Josh, it almost sounds like nothing bad's ever happened. Oh, (laughs) I've had some hard times, absolutely. But I have Superman to save the day. Alright? Every time he flies in and rescues, he parts the Red Sea, he pulls through. And you know what's happened in my life? My life is no longer like this. Not at all. I'm telling you the truth. It's just a steady like this. Just like, like a steady climb. Why? I just feel like I've gone through so many things 
so many times where I've done this. Hard time comes, I complain and I cry out to God and He pulls through. And I'm like, yes! And then hard time comes and I complain and I cry out to God, oh, why? And then He pulls through. And then hard time comes and I complain and I cry out to God and He pulls through and it's happened time and time and time again. So now, when hard time comes, no more whining. No more complaining. I raise the fist and you say, that's it. It's time to stand on my king and say, you will pull through like you always do and to praise him and to lift him up and just be steady. That's how you can walk in a place of happiness, in a place of joy every day of your life. You don't got to be bummed out every day. Sure, Jesus was the man of sorrows. Yes, as Jeremiah. Why? Because he weeped for the people because they were lost. And you should be sad for those around you. But not angry and depressed. Uh Uh-uh. He has come to give you life and that abundantly. Life and that more abundantly. Oh. Love walking with God. Let's look at how God is tonight, huh? Let's jump into the Word. I've done enough talking already. Yes. We need to pray for three people. We need to, actually, we need to pray for four, five, six. We need to pray for Brian. He's sick. He's sick. You know, if you don't know, Brian stays in the same room that I do. And I heard him the other night, like two nights ago. He's just sitting there. And he's just breathing like all hard. Like he'd just be sleeping. And all of a sudden he's like, <sighs> I thought he was like having a bad dream, but it kept happening over and over. And what it was is he was all dizzy and he felt like he was going to, yeah, lose it. And so he'd just be breathing all hard. And it's really bled into today, but he's feeling better. But we just need to pray for him. We need to pray for Austin, our brother, who is out in Iraq. We need to lift him up. We need to pray for Kent Hoven, who sits on the cold floor of a prison, waiting to be set free. And we need to pray for Jay, Donnie, and Fredo, our brothers. They're out going to look at a college for a couple days here, back east. I'm going to check out this Creation Museum. Real stoked for them. Let's just pray blessing upon them all, okay? Father... We lift up our brothers to you as they have needs. And I just ask, Lord, that you would, man, just take care of them and pull through in all areas and all levels. You are a God who cares. You are a God who pulls through. You are a God who does not know how to fail. You do not know how to mess up. And so we lay these things at your feet and ask that you'd pull through on all levels in each one of these guys' lives. That they would have a blast wherever they're at. That they would be healed in the places that need to be healed. That they would be taken care of and set free no matter how far in bondage they are. Bless our brothers. I also, Lord, want to lift up Michelle's father, Lord, as you bring that to my heart. And another need that I cannot remember, but I just laid at your feet and asked, Lord, that you would pull through in a mighty way. Thank you, God, for the work you're doing in us. Thank you for letting us come to you. We lay these things at your feet. In the name of your Son, amen. Amen. We are in Second Chronicles.
chapter 1 tonight, Second Chronicles, as we are pounding through the Bible, come to a very fascinating story tonight. I'm excited. This is a great story. It's wonderful to see how the Lord works. We're looking at the man Solomon. If you don't know who Solomon is, he is David's son. David's son, and I believe his mother is Bathsheba. David's son, Solomon, is now king of Israel. And we know that Solomon was the was not the greatest, King David was, but he was the smartest, the wealthiest, the wisest. He was very good looking. He had much power. This guy just had it all, to tell you the truth. We're going to look at how some of that came to him tonight. But Solomon is here, and look what happens. Let's look at verse 1. And Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him, and magnified him exceedingly. Stop there. Who was it that magnified him exceedingly? The Lord. It is the Lord who rises up and the Lord who puts down. Did you know that? That all rulers on the earth, no matter who it is, God has either brought them up and will sit them down whenever He decides, whenever He chooses. You mean even the wicked? Yes. It is the hand of God who rises up and it is the hand of God who will put them down. He is in complete control. He is sovereign over all of the world, over all of the earth. He moves the king just like a man would with a chess board. He'll move them wherever he decides. They're a pawn in his hand. And we see God raising up this man Solomon and giving him, or magnifying him exceedingly, giving him a kingdom. Verse 2, Then Solomon spake unto all of Israel, to the captains of thousands and of hundreds, and to the judges, and to every governor in all of Israel, the chiefs of the fathers. So Solomon and all the congregation with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon, for there was a tabernacle of the congregation of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. Interesting. Stop there. So Solomon calls on all his big dogs, all of his leaders, all of his governors, all of his guys that are ruling over there. It's interesting to think that. Many times I find myself, as I'm studying through the Word, I forget that these kings actually ruled over many governors and that a lot of people had to come and answer to the king, that they had connections with thousands of rulers over their nation. You rule over here, you rule over here, you rule over here, and they would always come and check in with the king. And Solomon brings all of his advisors and all of his rulers and all of his big dogs together. And what do they do? They go up to a high place of Gibeon. They go up to this high place, and what do they do? They go to the tabernacle that Moses built. Interesting. How long has it been since Moses has been dead? It's been a long time. And Solomon goes to a place that he knows that Moses built this tabernacle, the same tabernacle still there in Solomon's time. I just, it just fascinates me to think that Solomon, did you know that there in Jerusalem, had a tabernacle to go to? And the Ark was there, the Ark of the Covenant was there. David had built another tabernacle, yes, there in Jerusalem. There was one right there in town. But where does he go? Where does Solomon go? He goes up to the place where Moses had built a tabernacle. Interesting. 
Now the question is, why did David build another tabernacle? The answer, no one knows. No one knows why David just chose to go and build this another tabernacle in Jerusalem and put the ark there. No one knows today why somebody goes and builds another church down the street. Oh, well, we say we know. Because there's doctrinal issues, of course. But that's pathetic. I long for the day, and it even came to me as I was studying this passage, when the churches would come together and say, you know what, we're going to be unified, and we will move as a unit. As I'm working for Harvest Crusades now, and I go and I meet these pastors, it is so funny. I play politics all day long with these guys. I have to be careful what I say and how I say it, that they don't be offended. And I have to like play this game with them, you know, like trying to get them on board to further the kingdom. It's pathetic. It's like, hey, guy, this is what we're going to do. We, our church, is going to pay $1 million to rent out a stadium. And if your churches could, um, could help out and take advantage of it, what, the reason why we're doing this is so that people can come out and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're hoping that lives would be radically changed, and that they would have a place in heaven when they die, and that they would start moving forward and walking with Jesus from that day on, and start loving on people, and start furthering the kingdom of God here on this earth. And we want to do that, and hey, you can just come and use it and abuse it. Take advantage of it. We're dumping all this money into it. You want to help? Nah. Okay. Let me rephrase it for you. This is my politic. You ready? I don't say that to him. I say this. You know what? We're just into furthering the kingdom of heaven. We're into seeing Jesus lifted up and magnified. And it's great to see the brothers come together in unison. And seeing the kingdom of God furthered together. We want to see people come to Christ. And this can't happen unless all of us come together. Is it not true? And I tell them, I, we're trying to get away from this thing where we put on this big event and you come and help us. It ain't about that. It's about us, Southern California, coming together and using this opportunity because there is a man who can communicate the gospel so well because there is Moses in town. Let's use Moses. Moses is going to speak. we got to go get the people. Round them up. and Let Moses speak and watch people come to know God. They say, yeah. Sounds awesome. But isn't it pathetic that I even have to play politics with the church? That I can't just be honest and open with people and say, man, are we not everyone in the same boat? Are we not one church under God? And is not this evangelist going to stand up? This isn't his event. This is God's event. And if Moses stood up and said, I'm going to speak and go and invite the heathen, all of the people of Israel would go. What's this business about there's little sex and, and you over there, a little tribe over here, we're going to do our own thing. Um, again, that's not going to happen. Remember how we talked about it last week? David stands up and says, you Levites, this is your role. This is what you're going to do. Nah, I don't do that. Oh, you don't do that, huh? You're done. <laughs> but I don't understand. I don't get it. And my vision is, I hope that it would come to Bass one day. I would love, I, look, I love riding up to Lake Matthews. 
There's lots of land up there. And I'd hope one day it would be so cool to bring all the churches together and say, everyone, we're going to throw in this much money. Let's go and buy a huge piece of property up there. And once a month, the churches of Southern California will get together and everyone will drive up that weekend and we will spend all day up there in that field praising God. And hey, why doesn't your church put it on this month? And how about you guys put it on next month? And everybody shows up at all times and nobody misses out. It is a time for the family of God to come together and worship. I'd love to see that happen. Even more than that, I would love to see maybe, you know what? Huh, I wonder how that would work. Maybe we need to practice what we preach. Because you know what? I've always talked about it. I would love to see a congregation go over to another pastor and another church and just say, hey, we want to know if we can come over. What do you mean? I want to bring the whole church over this Sunday. Is that all right? I'm going to invite my whole church to come over and listen to you preach. Would you guys lead us in worship and bless us with a word from God? Huh? Yeah, man, let's just be brothers, right? That's what we are, right? We're family. Well, we can't do that. They they believe this and they believe that. really upsets me. But I was even thinking that maybe we should go and do that. You know, we have a sister study, kind of Wiggins, Steve Wiggins had told me about kind of doing a Bible study in a coffee shop because he started one and and he said, you should just go ask the owner and see if you could do it in a coffee shop. It's like, okay. And that's what we did over Java Bliss. And that's what we got in. And you know that there's another study going on over in downtown Riverside every single Tuesday night. Steve Wiggins is teaching over there. Real blessing. Great music. What if we as a family go over there one week? Should we do that? Wouldn't that be great? What do you think, Robert? We just cruise over there? We're just like, what's up, Steve, man? Just bless us, man. And all of a sudden, you know, they I don't know if it's okay. I, mean, I don't know. All of a sudden, they're like, we're going to come over here. It's like, well, I don't know if we can. <laughs> <laughs> they want to come over here, and you might have 200 customers. I mean, But maybe we should do that. When do you guys want to do that? Next week? Is next week the week? Okay, we've got to get the word out, all right? Because um, people are going to show up here. People will show up and uh, maybe we can just have a sign set up and all that stuff. And um, I'll just... Should I tell Wiggins or should we just show up? <laughs> all right. All right, but nobody tell anybody, all right? Nobody's going to say anything, right? Nobody's going to say anything, right? And then when we show up and just gonna say, Hey, Steve, man. We just want to come over and just love on your people and just bless your people and just be a family. We need to start stepping out in action, okay? We've got to start building the bridge. No more of this division, man. It's whack. I feel like, I feel like, man, the world laughs at us. Do you know that? Because we cannot even get along within our own families. I mean, the world, of course, they're not going to get along. They don't know the love of Christ. They're ignorant. But we supposedly have experienced a supernatural love of God. And we cannot even get along with one another. But I would love to see, and I don't even know how that would work. It just started coming to me in a vision, kind of, as I was sitting there reading today. 
going to each pastor and saying, Hey man, let's talk. What is stopping us from joining forces? What is stopping us from being together as a church? What's stopping us? I'm not saying that we have to forsake the building that we stay in. But what is stopping us from meeting together throughout the week? Hey, there in the book of Acts, we see churches all over in different cities, but they, hey, they got together. Yes, they did. And Paul went from place to place preaching. What is stopping us from coming together? David, for some reason, built another tabernacle. We don't need any more churches. Did you know that? We don't. We just need churches to start following the kingdom of God and passing the baton on to the next generation. You know why new churches keep starting? It's because the old pastor stands up there and is not willing to hand the keys to the 16-year-old. Scared he's going to crash the car. But Moses was willing to pass it on to Joshua. And it is crucial for every generation. And family, if, you were, if, if I'm still preaching 20 years from now, remind me. Make sure you say, Josh, you said you would pass the baton on. Who, is your, who are you passing it to? Where is Caleb? Where is Elisha? Where is the next generation? We've got to be passing it on so no more tabernacles need to be built. No more. There are plenty of buildings and churches. You know, why are churches closing every single day? Closing down because they're dead. Because somebody is holding on to the pulpit and saying, I will not. This is mine. And that's ridiculous. That is not the will of God. We've got to change it. We've got to do something. And maybe this small act next week will be a move in the right direction. Amen? Let's be not only hearers of the word, but doers. Let's move on. So they go out to this tabernacle that's in the wilderness made by Moses. Verse 4, But the ark of God had David brought from Kirjath, Jerem, to the place which David had prepared for it. For he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. See? Verse 5, Moreover, the brazen altar that Bezalel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, had made, he put forth the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the congregation sought unto it. And Solomon went up there to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. Stop there. So Solomon takes his boys, and they go up, remember, to Gibeon, to Moses' tabernacle. And what do they do? Moses stands up to the brazen altar. And he offers how many offerings? One thousand. Do you know how long it takes to offer an offering? I mean, this is a process. This isn't a barbecue. You're not just like slapping meat on the grill. You know, just like, okay, next one. Throw it up there. Light it on fire. Explosion. Next one. You know, just like, come on. How many can we do? This isn't a furnace that they're just burning hot. and They're just like... No, this is a process, one after another. 1,000 offerings. It's like after five or six songs, our minds just start to grow weary. We can't take any more worship than that. How about 1,000 songs into the Lord? And we sing one after another. 1,000 offerings. Insane. 
Look at what Solomon is doing for God. What does that cost for a thousand offerings? It's a lot of cattle. It's a lot of money. But Solomon throws it on the altar and watch how God responds. Are you ready? Verse 7. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give you. Ask what I shall give you. Oh, oh. God comes to Solomon that night of the thousand offerings and says, Solomon, ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. Anything. God has become almost his genie with three wishes. One wish. What do you want, Solomon? I will give you anything that you desire. And look what he says. Solomon, verse 8, And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established, for thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go and come in before this people, for who can judge this people that is so great? Stop. So Solomon says, Lord, are you serious? Anything? What he does do before he asks, notice, this is a key for prayer, he thanks God for all that he has done and is reminded, reminds himself of who God is and what he has done. In his prayer there, did you see that when he's talking to God? And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and made me to reign, and said, Now, O Lord God, let the promise of David my father be established, for thou hast made me king over the people like the dust of the earth. He recognizes who God is and what He has done before He asks. Many times in prayer, we just come asking, don't we? Ask, ask, ask. We're like a two-year-old child. We walk up and just start asking away. Three-year-old child, just asking, I want, I want mine now gimme just asking away take note to that when you go before the father be in awe of him before you choose to open your mouth and ask something of him look at what he asks he asks for wisdom and knowledge why he says lord give me wisdom and knowledge so i can rule over your people there are so many genius amazing but why did he ask for wisdom and knowledge was he smart oh no look back at first chronicles 22 just a few pages to the left first chronicles 22 first chronicles 22 are you there Look at verse 11. Now my son, David is speaking about his son Solomon. Now my son, the Lord be with thee and prosper you and build the house of the Lord thy God as he has said of thee. Only the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel. Interesting. David has prayed a prayer for his son long before Solomon would ever ask. The prayers of a father, the prayers of a mother, never go in vain. They are never void. 
They always work out. There are so many mothers who have cried out day and night for their children to come to know the Father and to come to walk close to Him. And I've seen so many. Our brother Patrick here, man, he tells me his mom would just cry out for him day and night. And he would do bad thing, one thing after another, not seeking the face of God. And all of a sudden, the Father struck him like a lightning bolt and he has never been the same. Family, pray for your children. I don't have any. Pray for them. Start now. When I see a child, I love to lay hands on him. There's a boy named Isaiah that I met at college and career. I think he's three years old. One of the girls is carrying him around, and this guy, is I think his name is Jeremy, he he comes and he talks to me and he's carrying this boy. And I just feel so drawn just to pray for him and to pray for him. To lay hands on him and to ask that God would have him set apart as a child. Before he ever learns anything. To learn God and to walk with him. It's like, Father, just come and show up to this child. Just reveal yourself to this child. Job was a great father. Did you know that? He sacrificed and gave offerings unto the Lord every single day for his children. Prayed for them. We have got to learn how to be parents before we are. To the best of our ability, no man knows how to raise a child until he experiences it. But we have got to learn through the times of prayer and through the times of seeking the face of God. David prayed for his boy Solomon that he would receive wisdom and understanding and look at the Father giving it to him now. Solomon asked the right thing. Wisdom and understanding. Do you know that these are the two things? Wisdom and knowledge are the two things that people need on this earth. It is not riches that you need. No. It is not success that you need. No. It is not any amount of thing. If you have wisdom and you have knowledge, you will gain all these things. Simple. And if you have one or the other, you still lack. A man with wisdom that does not have knowledge has nothing. And a man who has knowledge without wisdom, he's just an egghead. Street smarts, Without information, you will fail still. You cannot progress. And knowing the books, being a bookworm, understanding, but having no street smarts, you have nothing. We should be seeking after these things as young kids. Let's be honest. I love hanging around older men. Why? Because they have wisdom. They have experienced life. I can learn from all of their mistakes and their success. It's like, hey, tell me about all the times you messed up. You start to pour it out. Don't ever do this and don't ever do that. Listen. Go sit around an 80-year-old man and watch the gold flow from his mouth. The riches. 
you can learn so much. I remember my grandma, man, when she was she was getting older, she would just ramble and ramble and ramble. And I was just like, man, I don't want to listen to my grandma, man. I'm out of here. <laughs> but I recognized, as I started to want to know and understand things, they say, like, I don't know who some preacher was saying it, but it's like as children, kids think their parents know everything. You know, as they're like, all the way up to like eight or nine years old, they think like dad is Superman and mom is super mom and and then at about you know right there in the you know 11 or 12 you know you start thinking like you know what i think i actually might know something you know like my parents aren't that smart <laughs> i kind of got them I, I got this figured out and then you move into the teenage years like my parents are idiots you know they don't know anything you know they're completely out there in space i remember thinking to myself many times like dude i can outsmart my dad like a million times over like he doesn't know anything when I was like 16 or 17, I remember it. But then you go through college years and you're kind of like, man, I want to be independent. I kind of want to do my own thing. Like, Dad, come on, get off my case. Mom, just let me be free already, you know? Like, stop being my mom and stuff, you know? Like, I just... And then all of a sudden, after college years, you start thinking to yourself, like, man, you know what? Um, hey, Dad, uh, so how do I open a bank account and stuff? You know, like... like uh, <laughs> You know, like, what about investments, you know, because I want to be kind of set, like, what did you do when you did this? And, just like, uh, and then I'm sure I've heard it said, you know, when you get into your 30s, it's just like, you start seeking a lot more counsel, and hey, what did you guys do, you know, with the house, and what about the kids, and so-and-so, you know, she's doing this, and they're doing that, I don't know how to talk, what should I do? And grandma and grandpa are praying, and taking care of the kids, and spoiling them. Old people have wisdom, Okay. And you need it. And you should be striving to have it. I want gray hair at a young age. Not literally. <laughs> I want more hair. You know, like, Father, deliver me. <laughs> deliver me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that, that was on the mic. That was great. But, um,. Wisdom, understanding and knowledge, understanding and knowledge. Educate yourself. If you have a bunch of wisdom, but you don't have any knowledge, information, you don't know anything, somebody starts talking about history, you're law, you're out there, huh? I don't understand anything. I'm so upset at myself because I'm not educated. I do not feel educated by any means. I find myself on people, I was talking to the 401k guy on the phone yesterday, okay? If you don't know what a 401k, it's, it's a, they're like mutual fund investments that you're not supposed to touch till you're like 60 years old and you just keep putting in a little bit amount of money and interest rolls over and you end up, anyways, having a lot of money there at the end. He starts talking about all this mamba jamba, okay? Just like, it sounded like he was speaking in tongues to me. You know, I go, I'm like, I'm like uh, I don't know what this guy's saying. And he was just using all these big words and was sitting there like, yeah, yeah, just acting like I knew what he was talking about, just like playing it off. And he could tell because as soon as I started to respond, I didn't know. It just, my mouth just froze and it's like, uh, blah, 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 you know, just, I was really upset. You know, like I don't, in a lot of different areas, I'm really upset at myself because I do not read. So I like reading the King James because it challenges my mind continually. I have to decipher the passage. It does not come easy. It's like poetry. And this generation is not educated. Just be honest with yourself. 
There are very few who read. Most of us will stare at a computer with fast information for long periods of time and stare at a TV who will tell us what we are to know and understand. And what will our kids be like? That's the question. Look where we're at. Are we educated? If you look at just politics, for instance, and you start asking just simple questions about the men who are about to be the President of the United States who will be making all of the big decisions for our nation, are we educated in this room? Do we understand anything? Do we even know the middle name of the man who's running? Do we know anything about these people other than what they look like and what their names are? I believe there are some in the crowd who do do educate yourself in those areas. But the truth is, is we don't know. And we don't care. We don't. The softer the mind gets, the more power you lose and you will be manipulated and you will be swayed left and right. If the people are not educated, they have no power. They can do nothing. Because you feel inferior. You stand there as a professor looks at you in the face and spits information at you and you can say nothing to him because he uses big words. Even though he's lying straight to your face and you cannot combat it. It's sad. We need to be educated. And I hope that me and some of the brothers, and if you desire this when you have a family, we're going to open a school of some type. We will homeschool these kids. They will be classically trained in logic. They will be learned in an instrument at a young age. They will learn Latin. They will learn the biblical foundation. They will learn creation. They will understand how to teach themselves and how to reason logically. And it's like I beg and plead with some of the brothers around like Jay and some of these other guys that I've been in touch with for a while. It's like we must come together and we must establish this because you know what? I'm not letting the public school system teach my kids. Bottom line. I won't do it. Because I went through it. And there are some who, hey, make it and really do work hard because their parents discipline them. I don't want to completely put it down and I don't want to completely mock. But we've got to somehow get our eyes away from the TV so much and get in a book and know why we believe what we believe. You understand? Knowledge is important. the fear of the Lord knowledge wisdom these two things do you understand now how when Solomon asked for these two things he just asked for the greatest thing you could ever ask for he was not selfish and he did not ask for riches he did not ask for success he did not ask for fame he asked for wisdom and knowledge and look what God does and God said to Solomon because this was in thine heart, and that was not asked for riches, wealth, 
in verse 11, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet has there asked for a long life, but thou hast asked for wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none as the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there be any after thee have the like. So God says, because you've not been selfish, I'm going to hook you up, Solomon. Not only am I going to give you wisdom and knowledge, but I will give you everything else. I'm giving you the full package. You will have all of it. Now look at this. Go back to Second Chronicles 16. I'm sorry, not back, but forward. A few pages to the right. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. I want to read this. You know this well. 16, verse 9. Listen to this. This is important. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in behalf on them whose heart is perfect towards Him. Did you hear that? The Lord looks to and fro throughout the earth for a person that God can show Himself to. Strong. And it's the person whose heart is perfect. Verse 11 again, And God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart. Because of this was the way his heart was. It was not selfish. It was a heart that was different. God is showing himself strong to Solomon. And family, listen. As I was telling you earlier about just the story of my life and the things that I've gone through and the things that God has blessed... I truly believe that God is looking for a person who will just be set apart, who have a heart that is pure before Him and keep striving towards Him, and God will show Himself strong unto that person. Strong! Did you know that? That God will show Himself strong unto you? Look at every single person in the Bible who have sought the face of God. Have they not ended up lifted up and blessed at the end of their lives. Sure, some have died for their faith, yes. But you look through their lives and you see blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon them because they continue to seek the face of God. And God is looking throughout the entire earth. His eyes are moving, looking for a single person that He can show Himself strong to. Is there a person in this room? Is there someone here that God's looking down and saying, that's my man. That's my girl right there. That's the one. They're set apart for me. I can trust them with this. They will be faithful. They will continue to seek my face. Solomon offered 1,000 burnt offerings. That's pretty crazy. Then God gives him, says, I'll give you whatever you want. And he asks for wisdom and knowledge. Wow. What would you ask for? What would you ask for? That's the question. And that's what God's looking at. And that, that's what God wants to see in every single one of our hearts. That's what He wants to find. 
is a heart that is pure before Him, that He would say, man, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's the one that I will choose to exalt and lift up and use amongst this nation. Use wherever they're at because they are set apart for me. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know who I'm talking about? That person that no matter where they go, they will make a difference no matter where they step their feet. Even if they're quiet, just the way they move. I think of my friend Ben, who is very quiet. He's quick to listen and slow to speak at all times. When he does speak, I'm all ears every time. And just that meek spirit, just that quiet spirit, he will always be able to minister to somebody everywhere that he goes because of the way that he is. I think of Christian as I talk about him quite often up in Canada. He's up there on Gabriola Island by himself, he feels. But no matter where that man places his feet, God will bless him and God will have his hand upon him whether he's preaching to two people or 10,000. God will bless him and he will be used. God's looking. Did you know that? Searching. Hey everybody, newsflash, God is looking right now. His eyes right now are moving, maybe through Riverside. Nope, nobody this time. Maybe next time around. There's one guy. God is he is searching to and fro. Wisdom and knowledge. Verse 13, let's close this down. Then Solomon came from his journey to the high place that was in Gibeon to Jerusalem from before the tabernacle of the congregation and reigned over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen and he had thousand and four hundred chariots, twelve thousand horsemen, which he had placed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver and gold at Jerusalem as plenteous as stones and silver and cedar trees made he as the sycamore trees that are in the veil for abundance. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen, yarn. The king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. And they fetched up and brought forth out of Egypt a chariot for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so, and so brought they out horses for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria by their means. Stop there. So Solomon did what? Using his wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Hey, he had gold as much as the, gold and silver as much as the stones on the ground. He brought horses from Egypt more than you could count. He planted cedar trees in the ground which were rare, as many as the sycamore which were menti- plenty, tons of them. He prospered Israel like never before. But I was looking at this when I was reading and I was like, man, go, bravo, Solomon. Uh Uh-oh. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. 
Deuteronomy chapter 17. And we'll close in this. Deuteronomy chapter 17, starting in verse 14. Check it out. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God gives thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and, sh- and, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as the nations that are about me, thou shalt in any wise set king, him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. So what, what it's saying is, okay, when a king comes into power, this is his duty. This is what he is to do as king, and not to do. Are you ready? One from among the brethren shalt thou set king over you, Thou mayest not set a stranger over you, which is not thy brother, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, you shall henceforth receive no more that way. So do not multiply horses. Verse 17, Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall him greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Uh Uh-oh. The Lord had told the kings, you are not to have wives, you are not to have gold and silver, and you are not to have many horses. You are not to multiply these things. And what is Solomon doing? He's doing that. Do you know that Solomon had, what is it, 700 wives and 300 concubines? A thousand women. He had more gold and silver than any man to ever walk this earth. Probably more horses too. He took what God had given them and did exactly what the Lord told him not to do. And did Solomon know this? Or you're like, well, maybe he didn't know. Oh, he knew the law. Check this out. Look at verse 18. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throat of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. And he shall be with them, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord God, to keep all the words of this law, and these statutes to do them. That his heart not be lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment, to the right or to the left, to the end, he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So what is a king's duty? A king must write, handwrite the entire law, entire Torah, the five books of Moses, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They must handwrite these books. So he knew this section, I'm sure, very well. When it came to Deuteronomy 17, it says, This is the duty of the king. Do not multiply horses. Do not multiply gold. Do not multiply in wives. And what did he do? He rebelled against the hand of God. Family. God has given you many talents. Use them for the glory of Him and not of yourselves. Do not take what God has given you to make yourself look good, to make you big money, to make you very fancy, to make you look like you got a lot of horses or a lot of money. To make you, hey guys, a lot of women, absolutely not. Guys try to brag to me. Remember a brother the other day, we're in the gym. He's confessing to me, to be honest, but it's like, 
he's like, man, I never really told anybody this, but I almost feel like he's bragging to me. He's like, you know, I just, man, I really messed up these last few years, and I, I think I've been with, like, over 30 girls or something like that. And I could feel, like, him trying to, like, brag to me, and I just looked at him just like, and that sucks. You know, that's really terrible. I can't believe you did something like that. You receive no glory. And I hope the weight of his sin does barrel upon him. And I'll lift him up and I will preach to him grace. But let no man boast in his sin. Solomon, what are you doing? May we use everything for the glory. What are you good at? What do you do? What can you do? Use it for the glory of God. There's a man named Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence. There's a book that you can read called, I think, Brother Lawrence. And I read it when I was in Mexico. Brother Lawrence was a dishwasher. And he talked with God all day, every day. He calls it practicing the presence of God, or practicing the presence of the Lord, where he would stay in communion with God all the time. And if someone came in to talk, then he would talk with them. Then he would get right back to just spending time in the presence of the Father, focused on Him. It's what Jesus was at all times, in communion with God. But he would practice this, and check this out. People would come from all around to come see Brother Lawrence wash dishes. They said that that room was filled with the glory of God. And that they just wanted to experience Brother Lawrence and just hear his words, just hear his wisdom. He did nothing more than wash dishes all of his life. That's what he did. He did it for the glory of God. You say, Josh, I'm not talented. I don't have any gifts. Can you wash dishes? Find out what you can do and use it for the glory of God and never for yourself. Never. Never. As soon as you feel yourself starting to take glory for something, apply the blood of Christ and recognize it's only by His blood that these things happen. Only by His blood that you have wisdom and knowledge, Solomon, because God gave it to you, friend. You know what Solomon says at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes chapter 12? I believe it's verse 13. He says, This is the sum of my whole life. This is the conclusion that I've come to. You think that he would say something like this. Want to be rich? Do this. Want to be successful? This is how. Want to have fame? I know. Want to be wise and smart? I'll teach you. Nope. He doesn't give any kind of guidance for that. He says this. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is the duty of all men. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is the duty of all men. That's it. Fear God. Obey Him. Walk with Him closely. Listen to His commands. Let everything you do glorify the King. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. I truly, sincerely want the best for each and every one of you. I really do. really breaks my heart, man, to see people just miss it I want to see you guys blessed okay and I know many of you are I know that you love God I know that you walk close I know you do because I see it let's be one that seeks the face of our king daily amen
Let's be ones who bring Him glory. Let's raise His flag in the city for all to see. Let's be like Brother Lawrence. Let's practice the presence of the Lord. As people look into their eyes, our eyes, your eyes, see Jesus and say, Man, I need that. I want that. Amen? Let me pray. Father, You are a great God. You have parted the Red Sea. You have brought down fire from heaven. You have delivered Israel time and time again. You have pulled through in more ways than any man can ever count. You have done amazing things in my own life, Father. Lord, one who is broke and Lord does not have any kind of title in the world, I don't know why you've allowed me to do so much and experience so much already. I am very grateful and I know that it is by your hand and yours alone that these things are possible and you receive glory for these things. It is you, King, who's been a blessing, not me. And I thank you for the work that you've done in many of these here tonight. Please, Father, have your hand upon them, God. Touch the heart and bring conviction here at night as they sleep. Stir them from the inside out to be people that are different for you. Ones who desire to truly be set apart and to bring you glory all the days of their lives, dying and bringing you glory. Father, don't let us waste any more minutes or seconds, God trying to further ourselves and further our kingdom and our glory and what we want. What You have given us, we give back to You. And I hope at the end of our lives we are exhausted because we have given of ourselves as much as we possibly can unto You and unto Your kingdom. Father, You say, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. We lack wisdom. Would you admit you lack wisdom to God, please? And now let's ask God to give us wisdom. You say, let any, any man who lacks wisdom, let him ask, and I will give it freely to him. And so, Father, we come and ask You, Father, please give me wisdom. Please give me wisdom that I can shepherd Your people correctly. Please give me wisdom to be a blessing to the people at work. Please give me wisdom in the grocery store, God, how to deal with a situation. Please give me wisdom as I hang around the family and friends, how to exhort, how to encourage. Give us wisdom. Would you ask God for wisdom, family? Please. You've got to ask Him. I can't do it for you. Ask. Ask God for wisdom if you desire it, and He will give it to you. Father, give me wisdom. Bestow it upon us. We choose to receive from you now. We believe that you have imparted wisdom to us. And we will walk in that. And we will step out in that. To see your kingdom furthered. To see you lifted up. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done. We celebrate you, King. Thanks for setting us free. Thanks for forgiving us of our sin and giving us heaven. We love you. Blessings on you, King. In your name we pray these things. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen.